Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Glad that you're here. If you want to turn in your Bibles or your devices to Acts 19, we're continuing our journey through the book of Acts. And my plan, Lord willing, is that we are going to pick up the pace just a little bit the next few weeks. Uh, so today we're going to do chapters 19 and 20 together. And then next week, if you want to plan ahead, 21 and 22, and then 23 and 24, 25 and 26, Easter Sunday morning. That's the next four weeks. Two chapters at a time is what I'm thinking. And I know some of you are like, what in the world is going on? Here's the deal. Make sure that your seat backs and tray tables are in their full, upright, and locked position because we are taking off. And uh, if it takes a little longer than you intended on this flight, feel free to roam about the cabin for a minute. We do have lavatories out here, and they are not the scary kind with the suction that you think is going to pull your eyeballs out of your head. We've got water in the toilet, so now seriously, we're not going to take that long. Um, we are going to do two chapters a week. I'm going to let you do a lot of the talking, though. And the reason for that is where we are in the story is basically Paul is either on a boat, in trial, or in prison for the rest of the book, and it just feels like those chapters go together, like the narrative. It's hard to break it without just saying, oh, he's right in the middle of something right now. So it made sense to put those together. So we're going to do that. Um, I'm going to pray for us in just a minute here as we dive in to chapters 19 and 20. And we're going to ask God that as we read these two chapters together, that by his spirit, he would cause this morning the things that he wants us to see the most to jump out at us that he would draw our hearts and our minds and our attention to those things, and that he would teach us more about who he is, that he would reveal himself, and he would do a powerful spiritual work in our hearts and in our minds in a way that keeps changing our lives and making us more like him and drawing us to him and helping us know him more. And he's the only one who can do that. I can't do that. You can't do that with the things that you see and share this morning. God has to do that. We are dependent on him, and we trust him to do it because of Jesus, because of what he's promised through Jesus. And so we're going to ask him to do that right now. And so if you'll pray with me, let's ask God to teach us as only he can. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time right now, this moment when you have brought your people together to encounter you, that we would know you more, Thank you for your grace and your goodness that you speak to us, that you teach us, that you have given your spirit to be the master teacher, and that you've given us your word as a constant record of who you are and how you have already worked and acted throughout history to make yourself known, how you've worked and acted on behalf of your people. And Father, thank you that you are unchanging that you are the same yesterday and today and forever, and that what we see about you in these words in the Bible, that that's still who you are, and it's still how you love your people, and it's still how you act and work on behalf of your people. And so we come right now, Father, and we ask you, teach us right now, by your Spirit, from your Word, as only you can. Open up the truth of your Word to us, and open us up spiritually to the truth of your Word, so that we will see you. Give us spiritual eyes to see you. Give us spiritual ears to hear what you are saying to us and work in our hearts. Give us soft hearts to believe and respond and be changed and shaped and led by you. Keep building your church. Make us into your church and your people in the likeness of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, starting in Acts 19. It'll also be on the screens if you want to read along there. Here's what we have. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. 
But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I've been there... I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there's danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship." When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now, some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd, but when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus... Who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you've brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are pro-councils. Let them bring charges against one another." But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly, for we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there's no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. 
These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. I'm telling you, I don't ever go that long, right? There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, some of y'all do do this, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Asos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day we touched at Samos, and the day after that we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. All right. Two chapters there, Paul and Ephesus, and we're getting him out of Ephesus to the boat as he gets ready to sail back to Jerusalem. I know that's a lot. I know we covered a lot of verses right there. Um, it's taking me forever to scroll back up. But what stands out to you this morning? Truths about who God is, how he works, his nature, his character. Um, and, and as you pick them out, if, since we read so many verses, if you kind of direct us to where you're seeing that, I'll try to mark it so we've got good references for this truth about God's coming from this part of the Bible, not just stuff that we're thinking up on our own, but this is really what the Bible's saying to us this morning. So you go first. Uh, what's this teach us about God? 
Sydney's waving at me and Emory too, so I'm waving back. They decided to stay in with us today. Okay. He said anything that's trying to fight against God is only used to proclaim God further. You want to expand on your line? I think I know where you're going there, but just tell us a little more what you're thinking, Tyson. Yeah. Yeah. So this is actually this is the very first note that I wrote down in my notes too. And so we'll just sit here for just a second because I love what you're saying. Um, it, it jumped out to me too. You've got Paul, and and God has called Paul as an apostle in a really supernatural way. If you remember back in Acts chapter nine, where Jesus appears to him, the resurrected Jesus in this blinding light from heaven. Paul, at that point, is an enemy of the church, persecuting the church, arresting Christians, having them thrown in prison, voting to have them killed for their crimes against Judaism. And Jesus gets Paul's attention and changes Paul's heart so drastically and completely that Paul goes, goes from a persecutor of the church to a preacher in the church. Now, just a complete 180, full change of Paul's heart and life that, that Paul goes from, hey, I will kill you from talking, for talking about Jesus to you'll have to kill me to stop me from talking about Jesus. So that's how drastic of a change that the Spirit has brought about in Paul's heart. And as Paul is carrying out this mission as an apostle, which is, that word just means he's been sent, sent by Jesus to make Jesus known, that Jesus has given him the Spirit and these, this spiritual power, these spiritual gifts to heal people because he's coming into these regions that have never heard the name of Jesus before, never heard the gospel before, and he's saying, this is the true message of God. Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ who's been promised for 2,000 years, all these Jewish synagogues he goes to. He's like, this is who God's been talking about in your scripture, which we now know is the Old Testament. And as he speaks, God's allowing him to perform these miracles as validation. You know, evidence of, hey, what he's saying is really true. These words come from God, and part of the, the support for that is the fact that this power comes from God to heal people. And so in the name of Jesus, and Paul knows it's Jesus and not Paul. It's Jesus' spirit and not Paul that this power is coming for Paul to heal people in, in like supernatural, miraculous, really attention-getting ways. And every time that Paul has people's attention, he keeps pointing them to the Scripture and to Jesus. So that's kind of what's going on. And then you've got... How would you like for this to be on your resume? Itinerant Jewish exorcist. I mean, that's a job right there, right? I'm going to travel around, uh, and I'm going to cast out demons for money wherever I go, basically. Itinerant Jewish exorcist. And they see that Paul keeps, that he's able to do this. He uses, in their mind, the name of Jesus to obtain this spiritual power. And so like, well, we'll use the name of Jesus. Now, they don't believe in Jesus. They haven't had the personal encounter with Jesus that Paul has had. But like, we hear Paul saying, in the name of the Lord Jesus, because Paul really believes it's Jesus who does it. But they think it's basically like a magical incantation. They think the power is in the words. They don't realize the power is in Jesus. Like it's not saying the name of Jesus. It's that the name of Jesus represents Jesus and all of his character and who he is, like his very nature, and that Paul is coming in faith and saying, Jesus is the one who can do this, and so I'm asking Jesus in his name to do this for the sake of his name, and they're saying, no, I'm going to use his name to do what I want. Like you see the difference there. But anyway, so they come and they use the name of Jesus to try to do the same thing Paul's been doing, and it doesn't work. And this is where that you've got these itinerant Jewish exorcists. It's just it's hard to say that. Can you imagine having to write that out all the time? But they're trying to do what Paul's doing, but they don't really believe in Jesus. So they're, in a sense, opposed to Jesus. And you've got these evil spirits who are clearly opposed to Jesus. And what Tyson is saying is all this stuff that is in opposition to the work of God and the name of Jesus being spread, God uses it to highlight and be like, no, it is Jesus and Jesus alone. 
and Jesus is not your trinket, and Jesus is not your magical incantation, and you may think that you can just say Jesus and get whatever you want, and you can disguise your intentions, and you can disguise your heart, and you can disguise your religion with the name of Jesus, but Jesus is not going to be used that way. Jesus is too great for that. You don't use Jesus. Jesus comes and he saves you and he changes you and he works through you for his purposes. You don't use him for your purposes. And so it does. God highlights again just the majesty of Jesus, the glory of Jesus, the supreme value of Jesus. But one of the things I love is that these itinerant Jewish exorcists who are trying to use the name of Jesus without really knowing Jesus, when they speak to these evil spirits, the evil spirits respond. They say, hey, I know Jesus. (laughs) Like the itinerant Jewish exorcists don't really know Jesus, or they wouldn't try to use him this way. But the evil spirits know Jesus better than these religious people who are blinded by their own religion and their own purposes. And they're like, hey, I know Jesus, and I know Paul. Why? Because the Spirit of God really lives in Paul. And God's using him to build the kingdom and to advance the name of Jesus. And they've encountered Paul now. So Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize. But who are you? (laughs) And then it says, the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, mastered them all, overpowered them. In other words, like he beats them to death, right? They fled out of that house naked and wounded. And uh, several years ago, I read a commentary on this section. And if you want, I know we haven't written down anything yet. So if you want your first deep, profound theological truth to write down for today, it's this. If you go into a fight with your pants on and you leave with no pants, you lost the fight right? The guy beats them naked. Like this is, and the point here is, like, apart from Jesus, the real Jesus, an encounter with Jesus, you've got no spiritual power. None. Like, you will not do this in your own strength. You will not do this for your own purposes. You will not accomplish anything apart from a true living relationship with Jesus where he is the heart of everything that's going on in you and he is the source of everything that's coming out of you and he's the goal of whatever you're doing. You will not use him for your purposes. He will invite you and bless you and use you for his purposes. And Jesus, the name of Jesus, is not some magical incantation that just flows off of our lips and we repeat it like a parrot. I can get a parrot to say the name of Jesus. It's about a real relationship with Jesus where you know who he is, where he's made himself known to you, and he's come to live in you, and he's working in you, and he is changing you. And one of the ways this hits for us is not that I think that most of you are going to go out today and try to use the name of Jesus to cast demons out somewhere. That's not what I think is our biggest danger. Maybe some of you are going to do that. If you do that, make sure you know who Jesus is or take an extra pair of clothes with you, right? Here's where I think we do it, most of all. Raise your hand. Everybody close your eyes. Raise your hand. Repeat this prayer after me. Right? And I'm going to call on Jesus. I'm going to say the name. And if if you'll just say these words, if you'll just pray this prayer, right? that's what we do to people. Now, you could raise your hand and close your eyes and really mean it, And your heart can know Jesus. And you know what happens when you say the name of Jesus? It represents who he is. And he comes to live in you. And he changes. Like you are saved by the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. It is true. It is Jesus and his name and his power and his character and his work and his grace and his blood that will save you and change you. Absolutely. It's also possible to say that name with your lips and not know that person in your heart. And I think if we're not careful that we are just another version of these Jewish itinerant exorcists who are just saying, hey, let's use the name of Jesus to get some stuff done around here. Let's use the name of Jesus to build up the size of this church. Let's use the name of Jesus to get people to make some decisions. And we can feel good about, yep, check that one off. They're done, they're done, they're done, they're done. And it's not about that. It's not about saying the name of Jesus once upon a time. It's about having a lifelong, ongoing relationship with the actual person, Jesus Christ. 
the Son of God, God the Son, the God-man who walked on this earth and now lives and reigns forever in heaven with God the Father for you to know him personally, where you really know who he is. You don't just know that his name is Jesus in our language, but you know who he is. And he lives in you and he changes you and his power is really at work in you. And, and if there is, hey, we've said his name like these people did, but there's a disconnect from any evidence of any of his power in our life. And I don't necessarily mean for something like this, some kind of supernatural thing like this. I mean the supernatural thing of your cold, black, dead heart coming to life, that you actually start to love the things you should love and hate the things that you should hate, that you start to desire Jesus and the things of his kingdom, and you love his church and his gospel and making him know that that slowly but surely he's killing the sin and the selfishness and the self-centeredness within you and coming to life in you instead is a love for him and a love for his people and a love for his world. Like If you don't experience that type of power, then maybe you don't know the one whose name you uttered. Right? When you really know Jesus and speak the name of Jesus, the power of Jesus accompanies that to change you and make you into his people. And so, yeah, I mean, I think we could sit down here all day just in terms of God uses things slash people who are opposed to him. to further accomplish his purposes. I'm going to add, this is long, so just I'm saying it all out. And make Jesus known. Tyson, is that a good summary of what you were saying? I mean, you did say it, I didn't know. God uses things and people who are opposed to him to further accomplish his purposes and make Jesus known. And then... The name of Jesus is not a magical incantation to get what we want. Look, you can't just name it and claim it. If you could, these Jewish itinerant exorcists, they would have named this exorcism, claim this exorcism, and it would have been done. It's not how it works. Power is not in what you say. The power is in the one who lives behind that name. So the name of Jesus is not a magical incantation to get what we want. The name of Jesus represents the character. You can say nature there if you want to, but the character of the person We need to know and trust and depend on. The name of Jesus represents the one who is your life if you're going to have spiritual life, if you're going to have spiritual power in your life, if you are going to be changed and empowered and used by God and made into the people of God It's through Jesus himself, and his name represents him, not through you just saying these words. We'll stop there for now on that one. Great start, Tyson. Thanks. You've, like, knocked out all my notes, so I'm done, so you are good to go now. What else stands out to you? What's this teach us about who God is? Point us to where you are, yeah. She said sharing the gospel takes everything of us. perfect that's where i thought you were and so let's let's go down here towards the end and and think about i mean how long just for us how long we've traveled with paul now reading this once a week and and realize that like this chapter 19 right there he was in the jewish synagogue for three months And then he was in the hall of Tyrannus for two more years. 
So we, we read it in five minutes. He's there for almost two and a half years. And you're like, how long is that? And, and think about just all the opposition that he's faced. People throwing rocks at him until they think he's dead, beating him with rods, throwing him in prison, letting him out, throwing him in prison the next place, chasing him down to another city. There's a riot that starts in Ephesus today over the things that he's saying. And we get down here to the end of 20. when he's teaching all night. And here's what he says. I have not shrunk from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you in public from house to house. In other words, look, I've spoken boldly, and I'm not letting anything stop me from saying what God's told me to say to you. I've told you the truth. Whether you liked it or not, whether other people liked it or not, that's not the standard. That's not the measure. This is what God has said, and I have to say it. And to Jews and Greeks, I've said it to everybody. Jews and non-Jews told everyone, it's, and it's the same thing for everybody, that all of you have to repent toward God through faith in Jesus. Like, this is the message. This, like, this is the gospel right here, and it's for all people. Repentance toward God and faith in Jesus, no matter who you are, no matter what your background is, no matter what your religion has been, no matter what your race, nationality, this is the message. And he says, I think this is really like a summary of everything you were saying right here, Adrian. He says, the only thing I know, like the Spirit is leading me to go to Jerusalem right now, but he's not telling me the details. And I, I, I put a note here. I'm going to go ahead and write it since we're there. Um, this is a good truth for us today. Sometimes the Spirit leads us without giving us all the details. And I put this word up here just so that I'm not putting more force on that truth than we can get out of one text. So I said, sometimes the Spirit leads us without giving us all the details. I'll say this, probably most of the time. Because there's something more going on when the Spirit is leading you than just, hey, here's what you need to know to do. It's here's who you need to know. It's follow Jesus, not follow the details. It's trust Jesus, not just trust the plan. A great example of this, I haven't thought of this illustration for 15 years, I bet. But um, when Christy and I were in college and we were dating, I went to her, not her hometown, but her dad's hometown for some, I think it was a family reunion, I don't remember. I've blocked that part out because that's what you do with memories like that. Um, I'm just kidding. Her dad actually grew up really close to my hometown, so that's how we all ended up there. But it's a small town out in the middle of nowhere, and we were going from like one house in their family to another house in their family, and it was all back roads, like way farther out than what you would think of anything around here. I mean, in the middle of nowhere. I had no idea how to get from this house to this house. But I didn't even have to ask them how to get there. All I did was her dad took off driving in his car, and I got in my car and I followed his car till we got to where we were going. See, I didn't need to know where I was going as long as I knew who I was following. And that's simple in everyday life. Listen, that is almost <laughs> your whole spiritual life. Do you know who you're following? Will you keep your eyes on him? I promise you he will get you where he wants you to be. The only way that you'll get messed up is if you stop following him, if you stop looking to him, if you lose sight of him or you decide to do your own thing or you let yourself get disconnected from him in some way. And then what you got to do is you got to call out. It's not like, oh, he's still in the car driving on without me and I'm stuck back here. The illustration breaks down right there, right? It's just, Jesus, come get me. Help me. I know, I drifted away. I'm coming back to you right now. And I'm like, no, this, is, this is repentance. I'm turning back to you. Pick me back up. If you know who you're following, you don't have to know all the details. He will get you there. And so, yeah, sometimes the Spirit leads us without giving us all the details. So Paul said, I'm constrained by the Spirit. I know he's taking me to Jerusalem, but I don't know what's going to happen when I get there. He hadn't told me all that. I do know this, and we're finally getting to what you said, except here's the one thing I know. And how would you like for this to be the only detail the Holy Spirit gives you? Like you say, hey, I'm prompting you to do this, this, and this. I'm not going to tell you everything else except this. Every city you go to, there's going to be imprisonment and afflictions waiting for you. 
Everywhere you go, prison and afflictions. And Paul says, I'll follow because Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth prison. Jesus is worth afflictions. I know who I'm following. And if this is the what, so be it, because the who is worth it. And so, yeah, like we say sharing the gospel takes everything of us. You could probably even say sharing the gospel takes more of us than we have. Like everything, you don't do this naturally. What you have, Paul doesn't endure what he's endured, and it for it to be enough. But what's happening here is that there is a supernatural work of God giving to Paul things that he doesn't have on his own. And God's saying, this is what I require of you. The only hope of you having what I require of you is for me to give to you what I want from you. So here, here. Jesus has obtained all of it for you so you can have all of it. And then you'll have enough from him for you, for his purposes. And so, yeah, over and over and over, Paul faces things that there are demands made of Paul that would be more than he could bear, more than he could take, if it weren't for the fact that Jesus died and came back to life and the resurrection power of Jesus is now at work in Paul by his spirit. And so listen, the things in your life, the things that we talk about every week, that you, you've got fears and doubts and uncertainty and you look at yourself and like, I can't do that, I can't make disciples that way. I'm not bold enough, I'm not articulate enough, I'm not courageous enough, I'm not whatever enough. Like whatever, whatever reservations you have about yourself, fine. Like, I know you're not enough. I'm not enough. God knows you're not enough. God knows I'm not enough. But he's done something about it already. I'll give you what you need. That's what he said. I'll be with you. Always to the ends of the age. And it's when you step out into this place where you aren't enough that you find out just how sufficient he really is. You find that he is enough, that he keeps all of his promises. So he gives you what you need to do what he's calling you to do. Now, if you're off doing your own thing, like an itinerant Jewish exorcist, he's not going to give you what you need for your own thing. I mean, really, like that, that's a great that contrast here in just these two chapters. He doesn't give them anything, even when they use the name of Jesus except a beating, <laughs> right? But here, when Paul gets beatings, he gives him strength to endure and grace to press on and joy that surpasses his circumstances. Like it's, just, it's an incredible contrast that Paul keeps accomplishing the things that God's called him to do because Paul's relying on God. Paul really knows Jesus. And so the other truth I wrote down right here, underneath this, I know I've said it, we follow Jesus. I just want to write it down to make sure that you write it down. We follow Jesus, not the details. The other thing this means is all the details can change. Like every single detail can change as long as you're looking at Jesus. You know, I laid out for you. And, and, and the reason I said Lord willing when I started today, I really did mean that. My plan for the next four weeks, I'd like to cover two chapters a week. I think it fits the narrative of Acts. If that needs to change, he'll make it clear that needs to change. And we'll follow Jesus and not that plan. But we follow Jesus, not the details. We trust Jesus. Not our plan. I'm going to move the knot over here just to make it. Not our plan. Not our knowledge. Not our clarity. Not our answers. We trust Jesus. If there's a plan he's given us, we trust that because it's from him. If we know the details because he's told us, great, that's from him. When we don't know the details, we still trust him. If he gives us clarity, we, we move forward with clarity because it's from him. If he doesn't give us clarity and calls us to step out into the fog, we step out into the fog if that's where he is. We trust Jesus. We follow Jesus. Not the details, not the plan, not the knowledge, not the clarity, not our answers. And then both this part right here, where in prison and afflictions await me, where he's saying, look, I know if I follow Jesus, it's going to mean some hard things for me in this life. It's going to require something of me. And then he says, but... My life 
has no value to me unless I can finish the course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus. And specifically, here's what that is. To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He says, my life only matters in the, to the extent that I'm making the gospel known. That I'm declaring the grace, that my life is telling and showing the grace of God. In other words, the grace of God is more valuable than everything else in my life. Because if it costs me everything else, if I lose everything else, if I endure everything else, but I get to do this, this is worth it. The gospel, the gospel of God's grace, like the real gospel, the real message that says the gospel of God's grace is more valuable than, and I want you to fill in the blank right now before I write anything else. What are the things in your life that you need to fill in that blank right now? What are the things in your life that are really valuable to you that you might dare to value them more than the gospel? They, they hold you back from being this bold and this open-handed and pouring your life out for the sake of Jesus and his gospel. And I, just a couple minutes right here. I'm going to be quiet, and I'm not asking you to talk either. I want you to really ask God to reveal this into your heart. What are the things that this morning you need to know and believe and declare and say, God, your gospel is more valuable than this thing in my life? And I lay it at your feet right now, however you want to use it. You want to take it away? Take it away. You want to amplify it? You want to magnify it? You want to use it to make Jesus know that's fine? What is it? What is it that competes for your heart? Just take a minute and fill that in. thinking specifically about Paul right here. I'm just going to add some categories, and you can think about the specific ways that these categories play out in your life. But you think about what Paul has, in effect, said, I will give that up because Jesus is worth more. I'll give this up because the gospel is more valuable. The gospel of God's grace is more valuable than, and we see it even in these chapters for Paul, than comfort. The life he's living is not comfortable. <laughs> Ease. And listen, how much do we value these things? Be honest. Like in our culture, in your life, like how much of the decisions we make are really about how much comfort can I get for myself, how much ease. So more valuable than comfort, ease, safety. Like he has no guarantee of safety here. And then you think about what he gave up earlier when he's this really like, successful, well-respected Jewish Pharisee prominent, powerful. Like he's in a position where the high priest has given him authority to go to other, other cities and arrest Christians and throw them in prison. Like, like he is, he's on top of the mountain and he's got power and authority over everybody else. And when he turns to Jesus, he, surrender, like he has spent his whole life climbing the ladder of Pharisaical Judaism. And he surrenders all that. The gospel of Jesus is more valuable than position. He gives up his position, status, power, Success, achievement, advancement. The gospel of Jesus is more valuable than comfort. The gospel of Jesus is more valuable than ease. The gospel of Jesus is more valuable than safety. The gospel of Jesus is more valuable than your position. The gospel of Jesus is more valuable than your status. The gospel of Jesus is more valuable than power. The gospel of Jesus is more valuable than success. The gospel of Jesus is more valuable than achievement. The gospel of Jesus is more valuable than advancement. And then he says it right here, the gospel of Jesus is more valuable than life.
my whole life, no value, no longer precious, except in relation to the gospel of Jesus. If it takes my whole life, it's worth it. If he demands my life of me, he can have it. If it costs me this life, so be it. Because I believe in the one who gave his life and then was resurrected and promises a whole new life to me. He's worth it. And if he's worth your whole life, he's worth everything in your life. Do you see him that way? Do you know him that way? Do you believe that's who he is? We do a, a check-in fairly regularly in our family when we, when we do family Bible story time at night. A lot of times it's when we get to the story in the Jesus Storybook Bible about the, the treasure hidden in the field. And part of the application is with the girls, we just, we'll just ask, what if Jesus asked you to give up? And, you know, I'm their dad, and so, like, I know how to go, like, straight for the heart on this. And they're both sitting here. They can tell you this. I'm like, what if Jesus asked you to give up your iPad? Would you do it? They're my kids. They know the right answer, so they say yes. <laughs> I think they really mean it. Um, but we just go through a list. What if, what if Jesus asked you to give up all your toys? What if Jesus asked us to give up this house? What if Jesus asked us to move away from friends and family? And then the one, and this is why I fuck they're being honest, I fuck the one that always they, they pause on the longest, is what if Jesus asked you all to move away from us to the other side of the world to make him known, to tell people about him? Would you do that? And they always, they stop. And they'll say, I wouldn't want to. I'd be really sad. You know, that may change someday too, by the way. <laughs> I mean, we'd be glad to get away from you. But right now we're not to that phase yet, and I'm thankful. Um, <laughs> but then they'll say, we know that we should. It's good to do that heart check. He doesn't always take all that stuff away. I don't have the answer for you for when he says, hey, I require this of you, not this. This, this, I want you to give to me, and I want you to remember that I'm worth more. This you can keep, but remember that it's a good gift for me, and I'm worth more. I don't know, I don't, I'm not speaking into those details of your life this morning, but I am telling you that your whole life belongs to him, and every detail of your life belongs to him, and every bit of it's his. It's not your, do not grip it. Don't hoard it, don't hold it tight. You can sit here with open hands, open hands to let him take whatever he wants, and then also what happens when you've got open hands like this, you're ready to receive what he gives. He may have so many better things still to give you. And you're still clutching this thing that you think is so valuable. And you're missing out on the things that he really has for you. The gospel of Jesus is more valuable. Jesus is more valuable than anything else you put on this list. What's one or two more things that you want to share? And we're going to wrap up. Humanity tries to take the reins. What part makes you think about that? I'm glad you got us there. Humanity tries to take the reins, is how Eric said it. And I'm going to add, because he says, look what he says right here when he says, Among yourselves will arise men speaking twisted things, to draw away disciples, look at that, after them. I'm just, any time that you have one who, someone who stands in a position of authority and teaches, and what their teaching does is gets people to follow them more than Jesus, be warned that they are a wolf attacking the flock. Like, this will reveal it every single time. The things that they say, the way they teach, the way they lead, does it draw more attention to Jesus or more attention to them? Does it make people love Jesus or make people, and then whatever the word would be, love them, like them, respect them, be in awe of them, praise them? Do they praise Jesus or do they praise this leader when they hear this leader teach? And Paul says it can happen right in the middle of the church. Don't think that it doesn't happen in the church. 
He said, we all have the capacity within ourselves to try to replace Jesus with the way we live our life. Like we all have the desire. It, it was born in the Garden of Eden and has been passed down to every single human. He says the core of our sinful nature that Jesus has to rescue us from. We have this desire in us to be God, to be replacement gods. To have people focus on us and us focus on us and our life be about us and people's attention be about us in a way that is more about us than it is about Jesus. And Paul says there'll, there'll be people, there will be teachers who raise up in the church and they will make it more about them than they do about Jesus. These are twisted people. They're wolves attacking the flock. So humanity tries to take the reign for themselves. Anytime it serves our own purposes and not God's, we know we're doing what Paul said right here. And I want you to see the antidote for this. Therefore, be alert. He's saying, be on guard, because this is going to happen. Realize that this is going to happen. Don't Don't even be surprised. Don't let them catch you off guard. Don't let them lead you unaware down this path. And just know it's going to happen sometimes. Now I commend you. Here's the... So, and Paul says, I'm leaving. I got, for three years I've been here teaching you night and day, all the time, passionately, with tears. But I'm, I'm gone now. I'm getting on this boat, and Paul says, the Spirit makes me believe I'm never going to see your face again. You think, think about that. He's invested three years in this church, and he knows when he heads off on this missionary journey, he's not coming back here. Like it, it will not be the work of Paul that protects this church or keeps this church alive. And so what does he do? Like, why? How can he do that? I commend you to God. <laughs> you're his. You're his church. He'll build his church. He'll protect his church. And he'll do a better job of it than I ever would anyway. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. This, this is how God, look, builds his church. This is how God gives you what you need from him. This is how God sanctifies you, which means makes you holy, makes you grow spiritually, mature into the likeness of Jesus. Paul's saying, yeah, they're going to they're gonna rise up and they're going to teach twisted things. And you hear it even there. Their teaching won't be the actual gospel. Their teaching won't be primarily about Jesus. They may use the name of Jesus. We've seen itinerant Jewish exorcists do that today. They may use the name of Jesus, but it won't be about Jesus. It'll be about them. And the only protection is the real word of God. Listen, this is why, as much as I do want to be understanding when we read two long chapters, and I know it takes a while, and, and seriously, you might have to get up for a bathroom break. Everything. I get that. I'm not, I, don't, I don't care at all. Anytime you need to get up, move around, stretch, whatever, seriously, it's okay. It's not like this is so formal that you can't do that. So I'm understanding, but I want you to know I'm not apologetic that we would read 70 verses of the Bible this morning. You need those words more than you need any other words in your whole life. And the rest of the morning when we talk, I hope we're talking about that. Because there's going to be plenty of other people on plenty of podcasts and vlogs and videos and social media who are going to say all sorts of things in the name of Jesus and it's not going to be about Jesus. And you can hear that all the time. And the only protection, the safety for the church of God is the word of God, the word of his grace, the real gospel, the real Jesus. Like we need this more than we need anything else in the whole world. This is the hope for the whole church, and this is the hope for the whole world. And so, yeah, we'll come in and we'll read two chapters, and we'll say, you know what the main event today is? What's God saying to us about himself from his word? That's how he will build his church. That's how he'll sanctify his people. That's how he will give them this inheritance of grace and gifting and power from him. And so Paul's, you know, the attack will be that they take you away from the word. And the protection will be that you keep coming back to the word. Like that's how central the Bible is. And that's how central seeing the Bible in a way that shows us who God is in Jesus, shows us who Jesus is, that this grace of God that Jesus has revealed with his life, death, and resurrection, it is everything for the church. And so I hope we always ask, when he says, this is how God builds up the church, is this what our church is being built on? Is this what your life is being built on? Is this the direction? Everything we do, does it point us and other people to Jesus? Jesus. 
Does it keep bringing people back to the Word? Humanity tries to take the reins for themselves. But God, in His grace, speaks in His Word to build up His church. His grace, His Word, His church. It's all His, and it's all about Him. And anytime we veer off course, listen, especially, especially for me, if I stand up here and I get off course for five minutes and I'm saying something that's way more about me than it is about Him, you just ignore what I say for those five minutes. You chalk it up to the fact that I am a sinful, fallen person and I still struggle with selfishness and self-centeredness and pride and arrogance and I'm not going to get it all right, but Jesus does. And anytime I'm talking about Jesus in a way that makes your heart beat fast for Jesus, then you listen and you grab hold and you know that is your whole life. It is him and it's his church and it's about him. And that's where I want us to end today as we get ready to go into worship. And, and we're going we're gonna to bring something back that we hadn't really added back in since we reopened from the pandemic. Here in just a minute, um, some of our staff and some of our elders and some weeks some of our elders' wives are going to rotate in so that we've got a few more women down here. for you. If you'd like to come down during this song and pray with somebody, um, we're going to have people down here available to pray with you. If you want to talk about just what God has said to you this morning, the way that he's working in your heart and the way that you feel like you need to respond and you want somebody else to, to pray for you in that. Or if you just want to come and kneel down on these steps and just pray. Like you don't have to come down to somebody. We just want you to know that this area is going to be open and the song and time is going to be open for that time just to talk with somebody, pray with somebody. Um, and so we'll be down here uh, each week at the end of the service doing that from now on. But as we close, I want you to think about like Paul is an, expiring, an inspiring example here for us when he says, whatever it means, my whole life poured out for Jesus. I come all in for Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Now, whatever he requires of me, it's his. He can have it. I know he's worth it. But I don't want you to look at Paul and think, I need to be more like Paul. Because <laughs> what will end up happening is one of two things. Either you'll look at Paul and you'll be like, I can never do that. And you'll get discouraged, and you'll be like, well, I guess I'll just settle for what I already do, because I can't be Paul. And listen, it's true, you can never do that. Paul couldn't do that until Jesus got a hold of his heart and changed him. Or, some of you will look at Paul and be like, I can do that. Hey, I'm, I'm as good as they come. I've got this thing figured out. I'm basically virtually already Paul the way it is. And you, you either be discouraged and give up, or you'll be really, really arrogant and have a way overinflated view of yourself. That's always what happens when we compare ourselves to other people, right? When we take our eyes off the one we're supposed to be following and we look around us to other people and we look at ourselves either really discouraged or really arrogant, and somehow I'm capable of being both at the same time, which is a terrible mixture. I mean, really? Like so discouraged that I won't tempt anything bold and risky for God and so arrogant that I still look down on people and judge them that's what happens. That's what's in me if I'm not looking at Jesus. And so I just want you to think about this. Yes, Paul, we see something great in Paul right here because of Jesus. But Paul was willing to die for the one who died for him. And it's true, he was. Think about how much better Jesus is. Paul was willing to die for the one who died for him. Jesus died for the ones who killed him. You want to look to somebody today and have your heart melt? Look to Jesus. Paul was willing to pour out his life because Jesus had poured out his life for Paul. But Jesus poured out his life for people who were beating him and murdering him in that moment. Do you know the depth of Jesus' grace? Do you know the depth of Jesus' love? You don't come to Jesus first. Jesus comes to you first. Right? Paul doesn't give his life to Jesus and win Jesus' approval. Jesus gives his life for Paul and ultimately wins Paul's heart. Jesus has given his life for you. I pray that he wins your heart today. 
I pray that your heart is drawn to him in faith and you see him and you love him and you trust him and you say, yes, I want my life to be focused on you. I want to see you. I want to say you are most valuable and mean it and live like it's true. I pray you see Jesus that way today. And so I'm going to pray that for us right now. And our band and worship team is going to come and lead us in the song. We're going to have staff and elders down here to pray with you. If you feel led to come or just come and pray. And so let's pray now. I'll lead us and then we'll keep praying together as we worship together. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your word of grace. Thank you for your faithfulness to keep fighting for your church to protect us, to fight off attacks, to, to defend us with your word and with your grace. Father, help us to run to you and your word and your grace, to build our lives and to build this church there and nowhere else. And Father, I do pray that you will open our eyes to see Jesus more today than we've ever seen him before and that you would stir in our hearts to love him and trust him more today than we've ever loved and trusted him before. Please do this right now by your word of grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Stand and sing with us. Come and pray if you feel led.